Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Hey, uh, I, I reckon as we jump into this year of salvation, as I said, for some of us it's our story, but it's also a fear that we carry. And I want to hope this morning that I help disarm some of that by reminding us again of just what it is that God has given us, what he's done for us. I had the privilege probably eight or nine years ago now with my family and and another family in this church of uh, just through a whole set of circumstances, uh, being connected with a family that lived close to our Mackenzie campus. I was really engaged in the church up there at the time and uh, a whole bunch of providential circumstances led this guy by the name of Michael and his family to walk into our church. uh, His kids had been going to youth ministry and his daughter had been befriended by someone that was really plugged into Gateway Youth and had invited her along and she was having a really good time and then they got an invitation in their letterbox to an Easter or Christmas service and they came along to Christmas service and then when Easter came along decided to come to church. I just ran into him in the foyer that day. We had a bit of a chat. We connected over a couple of things, a similar age and I decided just to catch up. We caught up, had a coffee, and it led into us as a family and his family and some others meeting once a month for dinner. We just talked about faith and we prayed with each other and uh, that was it. It was just, it was really like it, giving everyone a chance to put on their best meal and enjoy each other's company. And then people would go, I've got this question about faith. And they would ask these questions about faith. One night I got invited to go over to their house. We developed a really good friendship and they said, you know, what, what do we kind of do? What's the next step? And, and I was ashamed with how clunky the words were that came out of my mouth when I tried to describe to them about, you know, the whole story of God and what he'd done and how he'd rescued his people and how he wants to do something good for you. And now I just, I, I remember going, oh man, I butchered my opportunity. And at the end, they've gone, we want to start this relationship of following Jesus. And uh, I got to I'd be there as they, for the very first time, invited Jesus to become their Lord and Saviour. Uh, husband and wife, two daughters that followed in that decision. I got to stand in the baptistry with some others here uh, in someone's backyard as we baptised that family. And then I've been able to see, I don't have as much contact anymore, but I've been able to see from a distance now as God has come alive in their life in every aspect. And I've seen them now. Uh, he led his dad to the Lord just before he passed away from cancer just a year or two ago. He's now let seen his brother and family connect with the church and his brother was baptized at Gateway just a few months ago. And now the extended family, we're seeing this generational change through his family and I look back on that and I go, now I, I, I Chrissy, Justin, a few others just played the smallest role. We were really clunky in the things we talked about at times, but God just did something there and now God's brought other people into their life and I look back on that and think that has been one of the greatest privileges of my life was being able to see a friend of mine discover faith in Jesus, to stand in a pool with him as he was baptized and declared his faith in Jesus, and now see what God's doing in actually using him to bring transformation into the lives of others. You see, when we talk about salvation, we talk about people whose lives are transformed, not just for today and to tomorrow, but for all eternity. Who's been part of Gateway for 10 years or more? 
Anyway, just a just a show of hands. Look around if you see those hands. The people that are sticking their hand up this morning uh, wouldn't have been at Ormo because in ten years ago, Gateway Ormo didn't exist. And on Vision Sunday in 2009, we would have been sitting in a 9 a.m. service at Gateway Mackenzie because that was all there was. It was a 9 o'clock and a 6 o'clock service. And we started to talk on Vision Sunday 10 years ago about the, the dream that God was placing in our heart to see things expand. We were encouraging our church to look outwards. You see, the kingdom of God is a growing kingdom. And so when we talk about vision, we want to see things grow, not just so we can tick off things off the list, but because every time we see something grow, it means people are growing. People are being attached and connected to God's kingdom. And so we talked about, you know, we believed over the next season of our church life back in 2009 that we were going to move from two services on one site to four services on a Sunday across two sites. And uh, four years after that, in early 2012, Gateway Ormo was born. Why did we plant in Gateway Ormo? Is it because we didn't want to, those of us that were plugged in that started here felt like it was better to drive shorter distance to church? That is a great kind of benefit to what's happened here. Is it because we thought, man, we, we really want to go and sit in a school hall on a Sunday afternoon at four o'clock when the heat's coming in on the side windows because it's a great weight loss regime for us to enter into together. And we can't wait to step out of the you know, wonderful setup at Gateway McKenzie and come down here and set up plastic chairs with one another and build everything from the ground up. You think that was the motivation? And the motivation was never that. It was always the heart of our church to see more people hear and experience the life-changing message of Jesus. It's why Gateway Ormo exists. It's why Gateway Logan exists. It's why we planted Gateway Redlands last year and why we're going to go into the city. There's plenty of great churches in all those regions, but the thing we found was we had a group of 40 people that cared about this suburb and had connections and friends and people they lived, work, and laugh with that weren't going to other churches. The reality is we could do with 10 more churches in Ormo and there'd still be enough people that we together could actually share the message of Jesus. We did it because we wanted more people to hear and experience the life-changing message of Jesus. Back in 2009, when we sat together in Vision Sunday, there were 850 people that met on a Sunday in Gateway, worshipping together. 2012, Gateway Ormo was born. And so starting new churches was always driven by mission, a desire to give more opportunities. You see, being a multi-campus church was never a goal in itself. But we just decided that it was a great means to the end. It was an efficient and effective way to establish healthy, flourishing churches that are being supported and resourced by being part of something much greater than themselves. And we benefit from that all the time. When we talk about what Gateway uh, has the chance to do globally in our Gateway Beyond uh, programs and the different people that we're sending and the different projects that we're investing money in, Gateway Ormo would not be doing that if we existed as ourselves, but we're part of something bigger. It's good to be part of something bigger because sometimes the influence you can have together is greater than the influence you'll ever have on your own. And so as we entered 2013, Gateway was now a church in two campuses with four services. And as we sought God back at the start of 2013, we felt that he said it was time to keep going because there's more people that need to hear the life-changing message of Jesus. And so fast forward to today, and Gateway is now a church meeting in four locations with six services on any given Sunday, not with an average attendance of 850 people, with over 2,200 people meeting together on any given Sunday 
to talk about Jesus, to grow in their relationship with Jesus. Not only that, but more than any other time in the 90 years of our history, we have more people meeting weekly in people's homes to care, pray, and grow together. We have more kids and young people gathering in the name of Jesus on Friday nights and on Sunday mornings. We have more people having hope and healing brought into their lives beyond our shores through the projects and the people that we're investing in. I could go on. Why do I tell you this? Not to tell you how great a church Gateway is, but I hope you're here because you think Gateway is a great church. But it's not because I want to tell you how great a church Gateway is. I want to acknowledge this morning that what we have wasn't built simply on the strength of good strategy and hard work, even though those things have been a big part of what we've done. It's actually been built on the grace of God and Him being true to His word that He would build His church. But the second thing I want to say is this. My reflection is that as a church, our vision has always been to find ways to reach more people with the good news about Jesus because Jesus is good news. And so it's why we plant churches. It's why we open care centers. It's why we send people to far-flung regions of the globe. It's why we encourage you to find little communities to connect to called life groups so you can grow and understand more of who God is and what he's done for you. It's why we have youth and kids programs and kids holiday programs and op shops is because we actually reckon that Jesus is good news. And we as a church have been placed here together in Ormo because we are the light in Ormo to be the good news of Jesus. See, that's the thing. We're not just an extra strategy to what God wants to do. The church are the ambassadors. They carry the good news of the message of Christ into their communities. I hope that scares you a little bit because that comes not just as a massive privilege, but as a huge responsibility. I was praying with our team this morning as we were praying. One of the things that I said to them was, you know what I love about the church is if we look around here this morning, there are people that are so different to us. There's people here that you would never naturally choose to hang out with. There's people here that will drive you nuts. There's people here that love different things. There's people here that want to go to hip hop concerts and people that would rather listen to opera and people that would just, any noise drives you insane. There's people here that love holidaying at the beach and people that don't think a holiday is right unless it's at the Palazzo Versace down the Gold Coast. We're all different, right? We've got different attitudes, different passions. You know, I get it all the time. Some of you are knocking down my door because the thing that matters the most to you in life is global mission. And then the next minute, someone's knocking down my door going, man, we put too much focus on that stuff. It's all about kids ministry. Here's the beauty of the body of Christ. That's a good thing. Because we are better together than we'll ever be on our own. The story of Jesus would never get as far as it could if you were doing it on your own as if we're doing it together. So we celebrate our diversity and we cheer each other on and we love the fact that we're different. Because I am never gonna meet a, I'm never gonna reach an opera singer for Jesus, but some of you might. I'll be the one sitting on a camping chair in a pair of worn out boardies on a beach somewhere talking about Jesus. Some of you will be sipping half-strength decaf lattes in a coffee shop somewhere, eating quinoa salads. (laughs) And I'm glad you're doing it because I'm not. So as we look to 2019, it makes sense as we continue to look outward and ask what it means to be God's people in our community that this is a year of salvation. Because God is a God who from the very beginning has sought to save people into an eternity-transforming relationship with him. And we all love a good rescue story, don't we? We all love a good rescue story. I'll bring up my first image. Who remembers this? Who can I place this image? Not that one, this one. Who remembers that? 
2000, oh, 1997, I apologise. One of the greatest landslide disasters in Australian history when uh, the earth gave way at Threadbow in ski season and two lodges were crushed and 19 people were buried underneath the rubble. 18 passed away and one survived. His name was Stuart Diver. And for two weeks, he was buried under the rubble until, well, not for two weeks, for 65 hours, I say. He was trapped underground until with TV cameras and newspaper uh, present, this great moment when a survivor was pulled from the rubble of what was a tragic disaster. And the whole nation roared in the midst of its grief of all those that lost their life because we love a good rescue story. Fast forward to 2006 on Anzac Day when news started breaking of a mine collapse in Beaconsfield. Who remembers this image? Two weeks later, everyone, no, no, a, a kilometre underground, an earth tremor led to uh, things collapsing and there was a bunch of people underground, but three were trapped by falling debris. Everyone assumed uh, missing and deceased. Well, two of those three had actually been pinned within the steel cage that they were working in at the time and through amazing advances in technology, they were able to find them. And on that day, two weeks later, Brent Webb and Todd Russell walked free from a kilometre underground as they were rescued from the Beaconsfield mine disaster. We love a good rescue story, don't we? 2018, who remembers this image? Young team of Thai boys walked into a cave with their coach and the flooding rains in the area around flooded the cave complex and they were trapped. Such a significant story and such a... Uh, uh, a heart-wrenching story that it captured news headlines all across the world. And so significant was the rescue that we as a nation have honoured the two doctors that were part of that rescue as the Australians of the Year in 2019. We love a good rescue story. And the Bible is essentially a book that tells us of God's great rescue of humanity. The narrative of the Bible from beginning to end tells us the story of a good God who created things and he loved his creation. It tells the story of, a, of how sin tainted creation. And then from kind of Genesis, the early parts of Genesis right through, it tells of how God didn't give up on his creation despite the mess and the stain of sin, but how God did everything to restore, deliver, redeem and save his people. For the next 10 weeks, we're going to move through the story of Exodus, one of the great moments in the history of Israel, one of the great stories of God's salvation, a people that were trapped in slavery for 400 years, the Bible tells us, that they were oppressed and enslaved by the nation of Egypt. And it says that God heard their cry and decided to rescue them, to save them. This was a salvation event when God through Moses, you see, God always uses people, God through Moses and others led them out of slavery towards the promised land that God had for them. We're going to look at that story and unpack big chunks of it over the next 10 weeks. But the story of Exodus is the story of salvation and the story of Exodus just points to the bigger picture, the bigger thing that God was going to do that came through his own son, Jesus who came to rescue us from the consequences of our sin. The Bible says this, that the wages, that the thing that you get for sin is death. The wages of sin is death. In other words, sin leads to death. That's the payment for sin. But the gift of God, when Jesus walked free of the grave 
On the third day after they crucified him, when he walked free from the grave, he declared something brand new. The rescue is complete. The gift of God is eternal life for all those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, the Bible is a story of God's great rescue mission. As God led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, Moses and his sister Miriam got to the other side and they sang one of the first worship songs that was ever sung. And they say these words, you've already heard it on the video, but they sing these words, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. You see, salvation for the people of Israel was a complete rescue from the life that they were trapped in. And God miraculously led them out of slavery into a brand new life with him. And they sing, he has become my salvation. And it's the same for us today because people sitting here outside of here are still trapped, enslaved to this thing called sin. And it's our vision for 2019 that many more people would be able to sing a song just like that of Moses and Miriam, that the Lord has become my salvation. These were alluded to on the video, but let me talk very practically for a few minutes about some of the things it's gonna mean for us this year as a church, some of the things that we're gonna do. And the first one is this, we are gonna pray for salvation. You see, there's one thing I know, right? God cares about people even more than we do. If you have a deep compassion in your spirit for the lost and the hurt and the broken, think on that for a minute and then just know that God feels even deeper about people than that. God cares about people even more than you do. God cares about the people that you live, work and laugh with even more than you do. Some of you are thinking, how could God care more about my kids? How could God care more about the people that are part of my life? God just does that. He's so deep is his love for people that his desire for people to discover his grace and his love and his rescue, his salvation, is so deep. That's the kind of God that he is. And so when we pray, we're not asking God to do something that he's not interested in. We're actually taking time to align our heart to the heart of God. When you sit in conversation with God, It actually gives us time for God to align our hearts to his heart. It actually gives us time to let him know about the needs and the concerns and we get to petition him about the things that really matter. And through that, as we listen to him, we start to be shaped so the things that matter to God are the things that matter to us. Your prayer is an important discipline. I've got to be really honest, this is a confronting one for me because I don't like sitting still for very long. And so finding time to stop and pray is a discipline that I have to work on. You know, more and more God's saying to me, the less that you stop and you come to me in prayer, the more that you're telling me that you can do it on your own. We cannot do this on our own. So we need to pray to align our heart to the heart of God. More than that, the scripture tells us that prayer is something that helps move the heart of God. It doesn't change the nature of God, but it moves the heart of God. Listen to what it says in Exodus chapter 2, right in the midst of Israel being enslaved by Egypt. It says, during the long period, the king of Egypt died and the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Judah and with Jacob. And so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. And God hears our groans. God hears our pleads and our petitions. 
I reckon some of us this year have got to start crying out for, to God more for the things that we want to see happen in our lives and in our community and for the people that we want to see saved. Let me give you one very practical thing. You heard about some others on the video, but every Tuesday night this year, on every Tuesday of the school term, the dates will be in uh, the glance that you got just so you make sure you turn up on the right ones. But we're going to join for prayer as a church. Last year we had a termally prayer gathering. This year we're going to have a weekly prayer gathering. We're not going to be serving suppers and teas and coffees. We're just going to get together in a room and we're just going to cry out to God together. 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. every Tuesday. It's going to happen at the same time in every campus, but from 6 to 7 every Tuesday at the Gateway Ormo Care Center. So just down the road, if you don't know where that is, uh, jump on the app and we'll make sure the address is on there. But the Ormo Care Center, two minutes from here, from 6 to 7 every Tuesday, we're going to gather to pray. You know, I know that corporate prayer and group prayer is confronting to some of you, but you know what? We want to encourage you to come into that space. We're not going to demand things of you that make you uncomfortable, but maybe part of that is actually going to help you develop a prayer life with God. It's not about the right words and eloquent language. It's just about telling God what's on our heart. And whatever language we use to say that, that's all that matters because it's not about impressing the people in the circle with you. It's about just telling God what you want him to hear. And so from six to seven, we're going to gather. We're going to pray for each other. We're going to pray for our church. We're going to pray for our ministries. And we're going to pray for those that we live, work, and laugh with, that God would bring salvation into their lives. I want to give you a challenge. I know when you go from once a term to eight times a term, people go, whoa, I can't do that. I don't expect to see you all there every week. Everyone's got busy lives, school for a whole bunch of you, just extracurricular stuff, work, whatever it is. I, I want to give you a challenge, though. If you've got a half a prayer, turn up as much as you can. Like, there's no limit on this. But for the whole church family, if you're plugged into this place, let me challenge you to find one Tuesday night a term when you join us in prayer. Find one Tuesday night a term. We're going to share the leadership of that around, so keep an eye on social media and stuff because there'll be nights I get Soph to lead it and we'll be praying for Gateway Care. There'll be nights I get Donna to lead it and we'll be praying for youth. There'll be nights I get some of you to lead it and we're just praying to whatever's really passionate on your heart. But find one Tuesday night from 6 to 7. It's not going to go on for hours. It's going to stop. We're going to be very kind of clear on the time. But come and join us for prayer at the Ormo Care Center because God cares about the people we're going to pray for more than we do. So let's pray for salvation. Number two, let's share stories of salvation. And one of the greatest things that seems to drive fear into the heart of followers of Jesus is the thought of having to tell others what it is that they know about him. And I often ask why we are so fearful about acknowledging that we're a Christian or that we follow Jesus or wanting to share our story of salvation or wanting to even acknowledge that what we did on Sunday was go to church. Is it that we're scared of rejection? Is it that we're scared of ridicule? Is it that we have a lack of understanding and we're scared we're gonna get asked a question that we cannot answer? You know what, I get all that. I reckon as I've been just wrestling with this thing this week, the thing that God said to me is this. Some of us here today, and this is a word for some of us here today, some of us here today need to rediscover the depth of what God's done for us. I go to the story of the early church in Acts, and there was all of this miraculous stuff happening. God was moving. As God was moving, great persecution was coming. People that would speak the name of Jesus were being beaten and being whipped and being thrown in jail and being ridiculed and being laughed at. You know, we worry about ridicule and, and rejection. I mean, they had ridicule, rejection, beatings, incarceration, loss of life, like it got really bad for the early church. 
And at one particular point, uh, some of the disciples, those that had been with Jesus and had seen what he'd done, had been telling people about Jesus. They'd been sharing the good news with anybody that would listen and even with those that didn't want to. And they get dragged into jail. And, and those that didn't like the fact that they were doing it dragged them out to a hearing and they said, okay, we don't like what you're doing, so we're going to tell you, you can go now. But don't you ever speak in the name of Jesus again. Listen to what they say in Acts 4. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. And I reckon for some of us this year, God wants to do something new in us that that actually we want to talk about it because we've rediscovered just how good God is. We've been reminded again of exactly what he saved us from. In 1988, a man by the name of David Mazarek purchased a property in Edmore, Michigan, or in the United States. It was a farm, and when he purchased it, the owners of the farm that had obviously been there for generations said to him, hey, you can keep this rock Let me tell you the story of the rock. This rock landed here in the 1930s as a meteorite. We heard the bang one night, we ran out into the field and we found the crater and we dug this chunk of rock out. And so David, in purchasing the farm, got gifted the rock that the previous owners told him was a meteorite. Anyway, it was a pretty decent specimen. There's a photo of it there. Weighing in at 23 pounds or over 10 kilos. And, and like seven, 88% of it was iron and 12% of it was nickel. It was, he, David had no idea of this, but he had this rock in his possession. And from 1988 until 2018, for 30 years, David used the rock as a doorstop at his house. I mean, pretty cool to give him a meteorite, but what are you going to do with it? It's pretty ugly, it's bulky, it's annoying. And so he thought, well, what else? I've got a big barn door, I'm going to use it as a doorstop in my barn. Early last year, David starts hearing somewhere reports of people that were selling fragments of meteorite for decent money. And he's reminded of the story that he'd been told by the farmer about where this rock came from. And so he thought, well, look, I'm going to take it down to the local university and go and see a geology professor down there, get them to have a look at it. So he rocked up and the geology professor's sick of people coming in with rocks telling them that they're meteorites, and she's looking at them. Anyway, she has a look at this one, and she says, this is actually a meteorite. It's one of the best specimens I've ever seen in my life. Went on to value the rock at $100,000. From the doorstop of a barn to $100,000. All you're going to go be rifling around your backyards this afternoon, aren't you? Does that look like a meteorite? That's got a bit of nickel in it. I'm not sure. Anyway, the rock was observed and declared as one of the best specimens ever seen. Why don't I tell you this story? For some of us, our story of salvation was so long ago that it's become just a little bit too familiar. It's just like a doorstop that we use. And God this year wants us to discover again the power and beauty of all that he has done. Jason's already done on the video. If you're at Vision Sunday, uh, Vision Friday night, We talked about one of the simple things we're going to invite people to do, and I know this is very confronting for some, but there is something powerful in your story. But there's actually a discipline in sitting down and being able to articulate your story. And just that moment where someone says, why do you go to church? Why do you believe in Jesus? 
Well, you can go to the Bible and the theology, and that's appropriate at times. But if you just tell someone of what Jesus has done in your life, it can be the most powerful entry point to someone wanting to ask more. You see, the thing that people see in us is when they hear our testimony and they see our lives align with our testimony, something changes in them. There's a softening to the story of Jesus that happens in them. We reckon also there's great encouragement in sharing stories with each other. And so as a way of encouraging us to be able to articulate our story, but also being able to encourage each other in church, where we're encouraging people to take the one thing in their hand, I don't have mine, but my, your phone. If you don't have a phone, find someone here. Anyone here that's under 40 will be proficient not only in placing you right in the frame, but getting the shadow just right and the volume perfect. And we're encouraging people just to take a video selfie. And I hate watching myself on film. I hate that big screen thing we did. Like it was fun being in the water, but then I had to get up and speak to camera. I love looking at myself on screen, but there's something about our story. You know the thing? You cannot argue with my story of what Jesus has done in my life because it's my story. Thank you for your challenge. This year, whether you just share it with your life group or whether you have the courage to share it online. If you do share it online, if you're an Instagram, let me get technical for a minute, Instagram user, if you hashtag Gateway Stories of Salvation, it'll be shared so others can see it. Uh, if you want to stick it on Facebook and just link it to your Gateway Ormo campus page, you can do that. If you want to just email it in to Ormo at Gateway Baptist or to Jimmy or whatever, do that as well. But find a way to share your story of salvation. Just to give you a little hint of how simple it can be, I thought it'd be good for you just to see my 60-second attempt at doing that this morning. Jesus changes lives. And in 2019 at Gateway Baptist Church, we're going to celebrate that by sharing our stories of salvation. I want to tell you a little bit about my story. I had the privilege of growing up in a, in a household that not just professed Christian faith, but lived it in every aspect. As I grew, I decided, decided that I wanted to investigate that for myself. And what I found was a life that makes sense, that the life that Jesus calls us to, the way he invites us to treat others, and the purpose that he gives us is a life that makes sense. More than that, I discovered that there was a God in heaven who loved me so deeply that his love and his grace in the midst of my mess and my brokenness and the dumb choices I make was enough so that I could have an eternal relationship with him. I'm so glad that Jesus saved me. He saved me from a life of, of self-centeredness and mediocrity into a life full of purpose and other-centeredness, a life that truly makes sense. There you go. That's my story. You've all got a story. And guess what? I don't care if you don't like my story. It's my story and you can just deal with it. <laughs> That's the power of a story, though. Because it is our story. That is what's happened for me. That is what God has done in my life. We all need to find ways to be able to articulate our story and have the courage and the confidence to share it with others. The video idea is not because we think we want to plaster this and it's all about gaining the videos. It's actually just a, a tool, one, to encourage others and two, to help you articulate what it is that you would say if somebody asks you why you believe this stuff. So we're going to pray for salvation. We're going to share stories of salvation uh, let's, let's, almost, let's get on that quick. At the moment, there's two stories, hashtag Gateway Stories of Salvation. Senior Pastor Jason Ellsmore, Campus Pastor Andrew Main. Let's just show them who the best campus is and the best looking campus is. Get onto it today. Three, we want to create irresistible communities of salvation. Yeah, we're going to encourage you to discover, articulate, and be willing to share your story. But more than that, 
I want you to be part of building a community of salvation here. What do I mean by that? You see, the role you play corporately is going to matter as much as the story you share individually. Some of us are going to invest in some relationships this year and we're going to invest and we're going to invest and then we're going to say, hey, I'd love you to come to my church and they're going to go, not yet, not for me, not interested. And you go, oh man, I just wanted my moment to be part of a really good story and God's going to say, just keep persisting. But someone else is going to invest in a relationship and say, hey, I'd love you to come and check out my church and that person's going to say yes. Jason shared this with us on Friday night. He said, you know, statistics tell us that if people like you, one in every four people you invite to come to church will come with you. So if on statistics alone, everyone here just had the courage to invite one person to church this year, we probably had 60 people to our number just through an invitation. And so someone's going to invite people to come. And, and here's the thing that happens, though, when you invite someone to come to church with you. You might have done that today and you're sitting there and you know exactly what I'm going to say. But you step into church on that day seeing everything different. You think, man, I hope that they have some decent songs today. I really hope they don't sing that one song that I despise because it's got that funny word in it about Jesus. And it's a little bit too sloppy for me. I really, you evaluate the worship differently than you ever did before, don't you? You actually notice if anybody talks to your friend. So you evaluate the welcome experience of church different than you do on any other Sunday. You notice the noise differently. You see the mess differently. You really hope that the preacher doesn't stuff it up and say something inappropriate or awkward or too confronting or too, and you really hope that at the end of the service, no one gets too crazy, don't you? That's the way we see things when we bring people in. So here's the thing. If that's the case, every one of us has a role in the community we create here. So some of you this year are going to bring someone with you but it might be someone in a blue shirt on our welcome team that actually God just uses in an instant or in a moment because of the way they engage that person or make them feel or disarm them or make them feel comfortable. That might be the thing that God uses as the catalyst for the next step. You might bring someone in and the experience their kids have when they go out and they're with our children's ministry on a Sunday morning and the fact that they know where their kids are and feel safe and happy about that and, and the leader that goes out of the way to introduce themselves, that might be the catalyst that God uses to do something extraordinary. The person that walks from this side of the hall at the end of the service to that side of the hall just to say, hey, I haven't seen you before. Great that you're here. What, what brought you here today? Can I get you a coffee? That might be the thing that God uses as a catalyst for salvation. The ones of you that have the courage this week to ring somebody that you've noticed in the congregation, say, hey, I just want to let you know I've been thinking about you this week. God's put you on my heart. I'm praying for you. That might be the, I don't know what it is, but, but here's the thing, right? We're all in this together. And the church that we're part of building together matters because there's going to be some people that get invited into this space 
that I, just they're not going to click with me or they're not going to click with you or they're not going to click with someone else, but they're going to find a family and a community around them that love them, that care for them, that welcome them, that are understanding of all their faults and their failures, that don't judge them because of their lifestyle, whatever, and they're going to go, you know what, this is a place that I can be. And so together we become an irresistible community of salvation where God does a good thing that leads people into relationship eternally with himself. You know, when James is going to stand up the back today in a great white T-shirt that says, talk to me or I'm here to serve or what's it, find your place, even, <laughs> find your place. It's not that he loves wearing that shirt, but he knows that when people here find a place to serve and use their gifts, that we all win. And we all win when we do that. The good news about that is none of us are on our own in this, are we? It's not all about us. It's about who we are together. So I encourage you to find your place. I encourage you to find a place you love to be because you're going to be much more helpful to people's journey of salvation if when they encounter you, you're not bitter, resentful and over the thing that you're involved in, but you're full of joy, hope and desire to do whatever you can. So find a place that you love. If you're currently doing something in this church and you don't love it, I want to give you permission right now to step out. And if the reason you don't want to step out is because you're scared there's going to be a gap, well, God is the God of filling gaps. And there's probably someone waiting in the wings that's just ready to jump into your gap and make a better fist of it than you are. So find your place and find a place you love. Find a place that fills your heart with joy and know that you might be part of somebody's story of salvation. A guy came up to me years ago and uh, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And he was having a bad day. I didn't even know he was having a bad day, but he was looking for someone else. And I could see that he was, you know, just really desperate to talk to someone. So I went, made him a coffee, sat in a coffee shop with him for an hour at, at our office and talked to him. Can't remember the conversation. There was nothing special about the conversation. He was a great guy. I connected with him. And that was it. He went on to connecting to the life of our church for years and, and one day he walked up to me about five years later and said, do you remember that day I met you in the coffee shop? I was going to do something really stupid that day and you saved my life. And I'm just like, I did? I don't even remember what we talked about and, and I am no, I'm no good counsellor in that space and I thought on that and, and I do remember the thing that I did. I just made myself available. And God used that in the broader narrative of his life to do something significant. You do not know this morning the person that you say g'day to who that conversation might be a catalyst that is life-changing. Let's build an irresistible community of salvation. You know, Exodus was a nation that needed... Uh, Exodus tells us about Israel as a nation that needed slaving, uh, saving... Exodus, second book of the Bible, tells us the story of Israel, which was a nation that needed saving out of the oppressive land of Egypt and the slavery that they were in. And it tells us the story of what God did in saving them. They were just a few hundred kilometers away from a land that God promised to them that was full, as the Bible tells us. The Bible describes it as a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, that's probably just in ancient language and literature for God to be able to say, I have land for you. 
full stop. One, you are a landless people. I've got land for you, but it's really good land. It's really fertile and productive land. It's flowing with milk and honey. That was the greatest picture of what God wanted to do for his people that were oppressed by slavery. And guess what? It was just, it was just an arm's reach away. Israel takes 40 years to get there because mostly through their own stupidity, but sometimes the salvation is just an arm's length away. Let me tell you another antique story and I'll get the band to come join me. In the 17th century, uh, a Japanese um, sculptor and artist was commissioned with building these chests. So he built these wooden chests and there was only a handful of them made, these beautiful lacquered Japanese chests that had uh, artwork on them that told a story. People say it actually told the first fictional story that ever there was. They were very, very rare. And 70 years ago, one of them was lost. Lost in the sense of, you know, the collector that had it sold it to someone and they sold it to someone and they gave it to someone. Anyway, as they tried to trace where this chest had gone, nobody knew. And this particular antique institute was doing everything to try and trace where the chest had ended up and nobody knew. It was lost, 70 years lost. Little did they know that just an arm's length away, there was a man who had the chest sitting in his lounge room. He bought it for 100 pounds in the UK. He bought it for 100 pounds. And if you trace the story, somebody inherited it and they wanted to get rid of it and he saw it and it looked nice. So he bought it for 100 pounds and he took it to his house. He used it as his TV cabinet. Right, he had his TV on it and another time he moved the TV off it, he put it as the coffee table. It was like the drinks holder in his house, his ornate chest. He didn't know the story of it. He didn't know the history of it. He just knew it looked cool and it was very practical and functional. Anyway, this guy passes away and people come in to go through his stuff and someone notices this chest and decides to get it checked out. And just three kilometres away is the institute that's been searching for it for 70 years and had been right under their nose the whole time, sitting under a TV in somebody's lounge room. A hundred pound chest. Anyway, they found it. It's only one of 10 that remains in the world today. That 100 pound chest was sold for 6.3 million pounds. When my parents are out this week, I'm going to go rifle through their stuff and see what might be their TV cabinet. 6.3 million pounds. So rare and so valuable was this thing that this guy had as his TV stand. And the story of what Jesus has done for us is much greater and much more valuable than that. But for some of us, we've lost sight of that or some of us don't even realise what the story is. It's, it's been there, it's been at an arm's length all this time. But God wants you to rediscover the depth, the beauty and the joy of His salvation. This morning, those of you that have been followers of Jesus for five minutes or 50 years, the thing He wants you to capture again is just what He has done for you. 
Maybe it's been sitting as a doorstop in your house or sitting under your TV for way too long and He wants to bring you back to that place and go, let me remind you of what I have done for you, what I have saved you for. For the wages of your sin was death, but my gift to you is eternal life in loving, gracious relationship with me. The things that enslaved you, enslave you no more. I'm taking you to a place that is much better than the one that you have ever imagined. This morning, God wants to remind us how good it is what He has done for us. And if you've lost sight of that today, my prayer for you is that God would reawaken something in you where once again you're confronted with the mess and the brokenness of your life as it was and you're reminded about the life that God has called you into and the eternity that awaits you. But there's others of us here that we've never discovered the story and it's been sitting under our noses all this time. The story is simple. There is a God in heaven that thinks so much of you that He would give His own life through His Son, Jesus. That He would give His own life so that you might know His love, a love that is greater than anything that you could ever experience in human terms, that you could experience His grace. In other words, His unmerited favour, all the stupid things you've done, all the mistakes you've made, the things that we label as sin, the things you might just label as stupidity, all those things. His grace says, you know what? I see that, I understand that, but I forgive you for all of it. And because what I've done, you have the chance to know a brand new, fresh start relationship with me. If that's you this morning, we're gonna find a way every time we meet to give people the chance to start following Jesus. I've said that in the video. If that's you this morning, I wanna pray a prayer right now and I'm going to invite you to pray along with me. The Bible says that how do we come into relationship with God? How do we receive His gift of salvation? We would just receive it through faith. We just ask for it. We acknowledge that we've mucked stuff up. That's what the Bible calls repentance. And then we invite Him to be the Lord of our life. And if you've never done that this morning, I'm going to pray and I'd like you just where you sit, just to echo the words that I speak and to pray them for yourself. Don't speak them to me, speak them to God. And in that moment, He welcomes you into His family. At the end of the service today, I'm gonna stay up the front for a while. I love you. If you pray that prayer for the first time today, just to come let me know, because the Christian life is not something that should ever be lived in isolation. So you need to let somebody know so you can do that journey well. Or if, if you need to race off, grab one of our connected, get connected cards and it just says on there, you know, I decided to become a follower of Jesus today. Just tick that and we'd love to connect with you about what the next step is. But if that's you this morning, why don't you just pray with me right now? I'll give you some words that you can use. Dear Lord Jesus, I acknowledge today my sin. I say I'm sorry. I ask for your forgiveness. And today I receive your grace. I choose today to put you in the first place in my life. I ask you to be my saviour. Thank you for dying for me so that I could be forgiven. 
thank you for the new life that you offer and that today I receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, make sure you come see me or fill in one of these cards. It's really important you do that. I want to pray for one more group this morning. I want everyone just to stay seated for a minute. And the prayer is this. Those stories are told. Your salvation story has become a little bit like the doorstop. You understood the value of it, but then you just got too familiar with it. And today God wants to say, no, no, pick it up again. I want to remind you about just how valuable this thing is. He wants to actually restore within you a great joy and sense of what He has done for you. And out of that, He wants to give you the courage to let that flow into the relationships that you have. I'd love to pray for us this morning in that. That if you need to have a restoration of the joy of your salvation and then a courage to step out and start sharing it, if you, you the deep desire in your heart this year is that one Sunday you're standing in our blow-up baptistry with a friend of yours or a child of yours or a parent of yours or a neighbour of yours and, and you're right now thinking, I don't see how that could happen, but God, I'm going to believe for it. Give me the courage to do whatever I need to do to see those that I love discover the depth and the beauty of your salvation. If I can pray for you this morning, for a reawakening of the story in your own life and the courage to share it with others. Can I ask you right now so I can pray that you would just stand wherever you are? I'm not gonna ask you to do anything. I'm just gonna ask you to stand. Come on, if I can pray for you this morning, a fresh courage and a fresh revelation of what God has done. When others wanna join these guys, don't be slow, don't be ashamed, don't be afraid. I'm standing with you this morning, team. Anyone else? Come on, there's some more of you. I promise no one's going to comment on Facebook. You stood in church. It's all right. It's the safest place to respond to that. Awesome. This is good. Okay, let's pray together, church. Father God, I just want to thank you for your story of salvation. For those that have responded to this message this morning, may you reawaken in them just the depth of what it is you have done. Would you reawaken in them a joy of your salvation? Would you birth in their spirits a brand new courage? And God, would you bless them with fruit? I want to pray that they would stand with those they love, those that are family or friends or neighbours or workmates, that some of them would have the joy this year of standing with them as they declare their faith in Jesus. God, what we hold is more valuable than anything else. The story of Jesus and what He's done is more valuable than anything else. God, give us a new courage letting others see that shine out of us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.